This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. How are you doing? Morning, mate. How are you? Very good. I suppose the big story of the last 24 hours is this massive crash by the Turkish lira, which fell around about 20%. Why and how has it happened? So, yeah, it fell around 20% at one point. It's recovered a little bit since then, but even now it's down like 14 15% at this point from yesterday's opening levels. So we're still off quite a considerable amount. I mean, and plus, we're not talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about a market where this type of move is relatively unheard of. It's so extremely rare to see such a massive swing in price in a single day. So this was a really extraordinary story. And it, it kind of, it starts with everything that we've talked about previously. It starts with having a, a having a president uh, in Erdogan who believes that high interest rates stoke inflation and low interest rates reduce inflation, which obviously goes completely counter to general economic theory. Then having numerous central bank governors who are sacked one after the other because they effectively refuse to be dictated to on interest rates. They kind of allow themselves to be um can be guided in one way but almost push back so continue to do the the right thing but just to the very minimal uh, amount possible and generally with quite severe consequences and then losing their jobs finally finding a governor who's happy to effectively be a, a spineless puppet uh, for the president and just do his bidding coming in saying that we'll keep interest rates above inflation then when inflation rides above interest rates just deciding to go on this massive easing cycle and start cutting interest rates right left and center 200 basis points here 100 basis points there talking about core inflation and then ignoring core inflation talking about inflation expectations ignoring interest rate expectations talking about the benefits for the current account and how it will address itself over time basically giving it any excuse to just do the president's bidding and disregarding inflation entirely um disregarding the market a president who then blames the markets and blames everyone else for uh the issues that we're seeing in the inflation the um he's the enemy of interest rates but clearly no concern about inflation which is going to have a far more impactful um effect on the lives of people within turkey and this entire thing just has fared gradually into this we've been seeing record lows record lows record lows in the lira and it, it, I think there's just a couple of things that have been the straw that has broke the camel's back really this week. There's one which we're going to talk about shortly, which caused the dollar to surge. And then yesterday there was a, uh, this kind of resounding speech from Erdogan backing uh, the central bank's decisions to cut interest rates again, proclaiming himself as the enemy of uh, of interest and um, uh, and just quite clearly sending this strong message to the markets of oh, well we won't be. We won't be put off. We, You can do whatever you want. We're going to continue to do this. We're going to continue to put, cut interest rates. And I'm going to continue to support and push the governor and the rest of the central bank to do so. And if I'm not mistaken, he's sacked two vice uh, deputy governors this week because they were not supportive of cutting interest rates. So it's quite clearly the direction of travel. And it seems that the markets, people in the markets have just thrown in the towel. They've said, you know what, enough is enough. There is no two-way price action in this market. This is one way, and they've shown no inclination that anything's going to change. They've thrown in the towel, 
and the Lira's fallen 20% and it's not too far off those lows. So it doesn't suggest that things are going to improve anytime soon unless we start to see some extraordinary measures, which I think is probably the most the next rational step. I, I think we're, we're probably going to try and see capital controls or something along those lines being imposed to try and stop the sell-off in the currency becoming too worse because we're now moving into dangerous territory regardless of whether the governor thought that we were going to see inflation start to peter off over the course of the next six months as uh, as supply issues were were dealt with uh, were, were overcome and as the annual drop-off happened which we're expecting to see in other countries even if those things start to happen because of the currency movement you're still heading for a hyperinflation environment unless something changes quite drastically so yeah drastic times Okay, let's move on to another story. The US says it's releasing 50 million barrels of oil from its reserves in an attempt to bring down those uh, soaring energy and petroleum prices. And this, of course, is being taken in parallel with other uh, major oil-consuming nations, including China, um, India, Japan, South Korea, and here in the UK as well. But it hasn't seemed to have had much effect on the oil price. Last time I looked... It was up a tad. Yeah, so I think there's a few reasons. I mean, one, I think this is better than what was initially um, alluded to by the White House. This is not unilateral action. This is um, this is a coordinated response with the biggest oil consumers in the world. We have the US, China, India, Japan, South Korea, and the UK. So that's quite a considerable number of major oil-consuming countries. So from that perspective, it sounds good. Um, from what I understand, again, this is a 50 million number that which is being touted by the US, but I think there was around 18 million which were already scheduled to be released over the coming uh, over the months ahead anyway. So it's kind of a net 32, um, and then with all the other countries on top, which are which are planned to release much smaller numbers, it accounts for around 70 to 18 million barrels a day spread over a, a period of time. I think the first notable thing here is that. The market had priced this in. The market had priced this in when the reports had started to emerge over the last couple of weeks. There seems to be a, a feeling of being underwhelmed in the markets that this isn't enough, that it needed to be more like 100, 150, 200 million barrels to have any kind of significant market impact. This is a shot in the arm for the market. It's a short-term response. It's something that they can't just repeat over and over as if prices remain high. It feels very politically driven. As far as the US is concerned, they've got midterm elections just, uh, just after the turn of the year. Ultimately, high inflation is something that uh, that is reflecting badly on the present. Uh, in terms of inflationary numbers, I think the the, pay, the place that people see it most clearly is the price at the pump. If you're filling your car, you see quite clearly you're very sensitive to changes in prices. So this is something that could harm the president. So I think he was trying to manipulate the price in the short term to try and win some political points it also again from the political perspective it um it, it looks like you're not just taking this lying down so even if the impact on the price at the pump is not too severe the fact that the headlines are going to say that the u.s has done these done this uh, and taken this action coordinated with other countries led by the u.s to try and address this and to take on the the cartel to stop them manipulating price it kind of reads well Politically, at, a, at an important time when they've got such a fine, mar when they've got such a, there's, there's such a fine margin forever um, in Congress ahead of those midterms. So I think, from a political standpoint, it matters maybe more than it does from a market's perspective because the numbers are underwhelming. And then the question is, why is it underwhelming? Is it because he 
would have struggled to uh, release more reserves in the US and other country and for other countries to get on board. We know that there are laws in other countries that make it more challenging. If I'm not mistaken, in Japan, for example, the laws quite clearly stipulate that prices can't just you can't release. Uh, publicly held reserves simply because prices are high there has to be an effective disaster for something like that to happen so i think they're going to go down an alternative route maybe some private reserves uh, in order to meet their quota it's not an easy thing to do um so maybe this is kind of this is the the president doing what he can within reason um but their their actual ability to do something is more limited i think the other thing as well that we have to we have to acknowledge here is that uh opec plus is adding around 400,000 barrels per day each month um, to their output as they look to increase their output, total output, back to close to 100 million barrels a day by the end of next year, which is where it was prior to the pandemic. Now, 400,000 barrels a day is uh, is, is a lot. Uh, and if the US and others were to do something more significant, it probably wouldn't take that long for the, the cartel to offset that with a reduction. Um, I think the US, China, India, etc. I think they're trying to avoid a price war with uh, with the producing nations because ultimately they know that the these producing nations they still hold most of the cards. They still are in a position of power uh, in relation to this. I think it wants to be a more of a warning sign to say we are here. We do matter. There are things that we can do. Um, so be mindful of that. Don't um, don't forget that. And um, and don't manipulate price. We need lower prices. We're in the stages of a recovery. So I think they wanted to do something that isn't going to generate a big response. Whether they survive, whether whether that is the case, and whether OPEC adjust their output numbers, we'll soon see. I think they probably won't at this point, as long as this is a one-off, one-off measure, given the minor impact it's had on price. Uh, and I think both sides will want to avoid a price war. So I think this is a one-off thing that's going to have very limited impact on price, and. Um, I think we'll ultimately move on from here, and I think it's probably highly political. I think the thing that could have a greater impact on price is going to be COVID in Europe uh, and elsewhere over the course of the winter. We've seen, um, we saw them jolting prices when Austria announced a lockdown, and it seemed that Germany was kind of headed towards that direction as well. Um, that's going to have a bigger impact. That alongside the fact that the IEA and OPEC are recently saying that they think the market's going to become oversupplied this winter now over the next couple of months because of COVID restrictions, lockdowns, changes in behaviour, the impact that's going to have on demand growth. And they think that's ultimately going to lead to an oversupplied market. And I think that could potentially take some of the take some of the heat out of the markets, more so than this one uh, SPR release that um, I think is going to probably have a relatively minimal impact in the medium to longer term, maybe a little bit of an impact in the short term. Okay, Craig, gold has strengthened this morning. Uh, many believing that the Fed could raise rates sooner than anticipated we've also overnight seen uh, perhaps a smaller than expected interest rate hike from the reserve bank of new zealand so is that one of the reasons that uh, the dollar is up because of those uh, fed rumors of course we're going to hear from the fed a little bit later on and what do you make of the rbnz basically central banks are now in a tightening period if you're not the cbrt the question has just become a case of how fast and how soon. And it was interesting earlier this week, the markets were already pricing in that we get rate hikes from the US next year. But when Powell was renominated earlier this week, I think it had an outsized effect on the markets. And 
I don't think there's that considerable a difference between Jerome Powell and Lyle Brainard. Brainard is seen as the more dovish candidate. I think she's a Democrat as well. Um, so there may be the signal that that would send to the markets uh, for what the, the White House is pushing for. The fact that the White House seems to be happy to have uh, Jerome Powell in, in that position um, rather than Brainard pushing back against the progressive wing of the party. It's potentially seen as a sign that, the, again, reaffirming the... Um, the independence of the central bank, something that other, uh, one other country in particular could uh, really learn a lesson from. Um, and the dollar rallied quite strongly in the aftermath of that. And all of a sudden, we started to see more being priced into the market. So maybe the markets were seeing Brainard as slightly more of a risk, even if she is going to be the the um, the, um, the, the Powell's deputy. Um, so she is going to be the number two. So the, this is going to be a more, very much a team uh, a team thing. So. But maybe the markets have perceived this to be a much more hawkish and the, the dollar rose and we start to see more rate hikes being priced in. Suddenly, the next rate hike is priced in for June. Um, the potential for faster tapering, three rate hikes next year. And that had this kind of jolting impact on the market. Like I say, as I was mentioning earlier, I think that exacerbated the the the, the dollar lira move. The fact that we had one government reaffirming its central bank independence, putting someone in place who's seen as the more hawkish of the two candidates and effectively taking inflation seriously. And then on the other end of the extreme, we had Turkey and Erdogan. So we did get that jolt in the markets. Now we are seeing more rate hikes being priced and we are seeing gold come under quite a severe amount of pressure. More recently, it's up a little bit today, but it did take quite a hit in the aftermath of that announcement. The RBNZ is also raising rates. They raised rates overnight by... Um, by a quarter of 1% and showing that they are on a tightening cycle as well. All central banks seem to be along the same train of thought, which is we still think a lot of this is transitory, but we don't really know how much of it is domestic at this point, how much of it's sticky and how much of it's going to pass naturally. And the economy is doing well enough that we can afford to raise interest rates in anticipation of some of it becoming more sticky in order to try and get this under control rather than leaving it until it's too late, at which point more severe action and more drastic action is needed, which will be far more painful. The RBNZ is ahead of the curve. It's already started raising interest rates. This is its second interest rate hike. Others aren't going to be far behind. We've talked about the Bank of England before. The Fed, middle of next year for the first rate hike, I really wouldn't be surprised if it's sooner, to be quite honest. But um, it seems that a lot of action is priced in for 2022 uh, at, at this point. And I think the... The renomination of power was kind of confirmation that that's the path of travel that the central bank is going to be headed in, and then we're not going to see someone slightly more dovish who's going to push back a little bit more and potentially delay things by even one or two meetings uh, to try and buy themselves some time. Craig Earlham in London, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.